Thank you, Robin. Great song, great thought, great job. Go ahead and get in your Bible, if you would, to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's one near you. It's got a hard black cover. We'll be on page 780. Page 780. John chapter 3. Everything in the Bible is inspired by God, preserved by His providential care over the centuries. And though most of us find the New Testament easier to understand and apply all the Bible, we are told is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God might be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. And though all the Bible is inspired and all the Bible is preserved, there are some places in the Bible that are more clear, more important, and more obviously applicable today. They are like mountain peaks that rise above the plains that surround them, great texts in the Word of God. And Lord willing, we are in a lengthy Sunday morning series on great texts that are in the book of Isaiah, the book of Jeremiah, and the Gospel of John. Last Sunday morning, we talked about Christ's zeal for the house of God. We saw how the one issue over which the meek and gentle Jesus could be described as being violent was when he cleansed the temple. And he did it once early in his ministry, and then he did it again uh, during his last week before his crucifixion. We talked about how Jesus loved the house of God and that we should do that as well if we would be like him. We talked about how there's a way we're supposed to behave ourselves in the house of God. And we saw, among other things, that behaving ourselves includes the kind of leaders that we choose and how we choose to follow them. We saw, among other things, that behaving ourselves includes teaching and defending sound doctrine and how we have been explicitly warned that in the last days of the last days there would be lots of false doctrine in churches and among Christianity. And we talked about how hindering people in the house of God from being able to find Christ or to worship Him in spirit and in truth, that's a huge deal to Jesus. And we encourage one another to behave in a way here that points people to Christ instead of hindering them from coming to Christ or following Him. This morning, we return to the Gospel of John for a mountain peak and one of the more familiar New Testament stories. And though common terminology in biblical churches, some churches never speak about being born again. I sat in the pew of a place called a church, two different ones, as a child and a teenager nearly every week. I never heard even one time someone speak about being born again. My wife, who grew up in another place where she attended nearly every week, that was called a church, never heard about being born again even one time. Do you know what it means to be born again? You heard anyone talk about that before? Have you been born again? Just how important is it to be born again? Now, uh, some of us have watched that TV show Hoarders. Uh, I don't ever turn it on for myself. Uh, Sharon likes to watch it, and so I watch it with her sometimes. Honestly, I don't turn it on because it just gets on my nerves uh, because just some people are content to live in filth. Uh, the, the show Hoarders is about people trying to help someone who has a hard time throwing things away. Now, some of these hoarders, they collect things that 
are actually somewhat valuable and they just fill boxes and everything else and just kind of walk in a path through their house through stuff. And other times, people hoard garbage. I mean, in their yard, in their garage, in their basement, in the rooms of their house, they're filled with garbage bags and worthless furniture and discarded uh, silverware and dirty dishes and even discarded food. And you can imagine how filthy that is. And they're fine, seemingly, to live in that filth until either someone in the family or the city gets uptight with them. Now, when someone tries to intervene, if they just go in and clean up the mess, do you know what happens? That person will just accumulate the filth and hoard things again. See, the only way a hoarder changes their behavior is to have a change of heart. See, without a change of heart, any change in behavior that anyone forces on someone else is just superficial and temporary. Did you know that Jesus Christ suffered, died, and rose again to change the heart of anyone who would believe and receive him? In fact, Jesus is the only one that can give someone eternal life and a new heart. You can get a kind of a new heart from the doctor, but the kind of new heart that has new desires, that comes only from Jesus. If you're able to stand this morning, if you would stand, please, in honor of the reading of the Word of God. The title of my thought this morning is, Ye Must Be Born Again. Ye Must Be Born Again. In John chapter 3, in verse 1, we read these words. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Thank you, might be seated. Now some people think that Jesus was only interested in and involved with the poor and downtrodden. By the way, Jesus was interested in and spent time with the poor, the outcasts of society, and those we would call down and out. But he also spent time with those we would consider to be up and in, those who were educated, those who were successful, those who were doing well in life. And in practical terms, what that means this morning is that no matter who you are, Jesus Christ is interested in you. Uh, in this particular case, some cases, the Bible records Jesus in him dealing with someone we would consider an outcast or down and out. In this particular case, uh, the Bible records an interaction between Jesus and a wealthy religious man named Nicodemus, and that's what verse 1 says. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Notice he's a ruler of the Jews. 
Now at that time, Jerusalem and Judea were controlled by Rome. Roman had, Rome had a governor named Pontius Pilate over them. Rome had a king over them named Herod who ruled that region. But for the Jews' part, they had a group of rulers that were called the Sanhedrin who handled any matters that the Romans didn't want to handle, and in particular, they handled matters pertaining to Judaism, the religion of the Jews. Now, the Sanhedrin had 70 men appointed by existing members and the political elite, and that particular group was headed up by the high priest. In fact, anybody who was paying any attention in that time who knew what was going, to what was going on around them, they would have known who Nicodemus was. He would be very comparable to uh, our senators fr from Ohio. And if you pay any attention, you've heard the name Sherrod Brown, you've heard the name J.D. Vance, this would be along those kinds of lines. But he wasn't just a ruler. We read also that he was a Pharisee. Now, if you read the Bible at all or listen to anybody preach and teach the Bible, you will hear them speak about the Pharisees. And quite frankly, I think it's one of the most misunderstood uh, groups of people in Christianity today. And people oftentimes throw around calling someone a Pharisee. And what they like to do is if anyone is a little more strict in how they try to follow Jesus or a little more careful in how they look at the details of the Bible, then they just flippantly call them a Pharisee. Pharisees were not a group of religious Jews who meticulously and carefully kept the details of the Bible. In fact, the Pharisees instead, they valued their religious traditions above the Bible. Uh, the Pharisees had leaders who made a lot of demands on those who looked to them but did not lift one of their fingers to do them themselves. The Pharisees, they valued external practices but did not care about what went on in the heart. The Pharisees were not a bunch of Bible-believing, careful, detail-oriented Bible people. That's not who they were. And so it might be a bit shocking to you, but if you were to study in Acts chapter 23, in verse 6, where Paul is on trial before the religious leaders, he says this, he says, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee. I mean, imagine someone in today's Christian culture saying, I am a Pharisee. You know, maybe we don't understand them as well as we think we do, and I'm not defending them. They were obviously someone Jesus was in conflict over regularly. Uh, in fact, he mostly conflicted with them over how to handle the Sabbath. See, God had designed the Sabbath to be a special sign between him and Israel, between him and the Jews. Uh, God designed the Sabbath for man. Uh, the Sabbath was designed for man, not man designed for the Sabbath. It was for man's benefits, but the Pharisees had uh, turned the Sabbath into a burden by trying to carefully define what God had not carefully defined. Uh, here's how the Pharisees, this were some of their Sabbath rules. Here's one. You should not look in a mirror on the Sabbath because you might be tempted to pluck out a gray hair and that would be reaping. Uh, listen, I got a lot of reaping. You could only eat an egg which had been laid on the Sabbath if you killed the chicken for Sabbath breaking. According to the Pharisees, a donkey could be led out of the stable on the Sabbath, but you had to put the harness and saddle on them before, or it was work. 
the Sabbath began at sunrise uh, on Friday night, and if you had a light lit when the Sabbath started, you could leave it lit, but you couldn't put it out. But if you didn't have any lights lit when the Sabbath started, you couldn't light any. Uh, according to the Pharisees, it was unlawful to wear jewelry or ornaments on the Sabbath because that might be cons- uh, considered carrying a burden. Uh, to the Pharisees, it was okay to spit on a rock on the Sabbath, but you couldn't spit on the ground because that would make mortar, and mortar was associated with work. Uh, if you, uh, you were not allowed, if, if it was an item that you would use to work, you weren't even allowed to touch it on the Sabbath. For instance, a hammer is used for work, so if you touched a hammer, you had defiled yourself on the Sabbath. They had a certain number of distance you could travel. It was five furlongs, about a half a mile. And if you went any farther than that, it was work. You see, the Pharisees, with probably when they started good intentions of trying to define what it meant to work on the Sabbath, in the end, trying to carefully define what God had not defined, turned the Sabbath into a burden rather than a blessing like God intended it to be. Um, <laughs> Most everyone, if you lived in those days, you would have really looked up to a man like Nicodemus. You would have admired how carefully he kept the Jews' religion. You would have admired how he fasted two days every week. You would have admired how he kept all these meticulous laws. He was greatly admired for all of that stuff. That's who Nicodemus was. Religious. Very good in the sight of man. But because of this, he was afraid that his religious and political reputation might be hurt, so he comes to Jesus by night instead of during the day in verse 2. The same came to Jesus by night, said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Now, I wouldn't be overly critical for Nicodemus coming at night. At least he had the good sense to go to Jesus and check him out for himself. Maybe you're not like this, but I'm often amazed at the lack of curiosity people have about what the Bible actually says. I mean, for the most part, people don't want to know what the Bible actually says because they don't want what they already believe. They don't want what they're already doing and not doing. They don't want it challenged, and so they don't ask any questions. And so while we may think, well, he should have had the courage to come during the day, you know, we ought to be glad he came at night because he wanted to hear Jesus for himself. And when you came to Jesus, he didn't survey the crowd for what people wanted him to say And so he told Nicodemus what he needed to hear instead of what Nicodemus wanted to hear. In verse 3, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except the man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus, you know what he would have wanted to hear? He would have wanted to hear what most religious people want to hear. He would have wanted to hear Jesus say, hey, you're doing good. He would have wanted to hear Jesus say, hey, everything's fine. Hey, hey, just keep doing what you're doing. You'll go to heaven someday. It'll be all right. Instead, (laughs) Jesus told Nicodemus that if he wanted to see the kingdom of God, he had to be born again. Please hear me when I say if a man as successful, religious, and knowledgeable (laughs) as Nicodemus was in the religion of the Jews 
given by God himself through Moses, if Nicodemus needed to be born again, every religious person needs to be born again to see the kingdom of God. Listen, I can confidently look out over this crowd and and we're here, we have prayed together, we have sang together, we have rejoiced in listening to someone sing about the blood, we have read the scriptures together, we've paused now to consider the scriptures and I can confidently say, ye must be born again if you want to see the kingdom of God. Not surprisingly, though Nicodemus understood the words, he didn't understand what Jesus meant by them in verse four. Nicodemus saith unto him, how can a man be born when he is old? By the way, notice Nicodemus asks how, he doesn't ask why. See, see, even though he's very religious and even though he's a very good person, he knew something was missing. And so when Jesus said to him, you must be born again, he he doesn't question the fact that he needs something. He questions, well, how can I do that? He says, how can um, a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Uh, Jesus explained to Nicodemus then that he's not talking about a physical birth. He's talking about a spiritual birth. And he's going to contrast the water of a mother's womb from which every child is born with the spiritual birth that has nothing to do with physical water, but everything to do with God's spirit. And he does that in verses 5 through 7. Jesus answered and said, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water, physical birth, and of the spirit, he cannot see, cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That's the physical birth. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. That's the born again, the new birth. Verse seven, marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. You do not need to know the correct terminology to be born again, but you do need to have a personal salvation experience with Jesus. Most people don't know the correct terminology because of a failure of their leaders. And though you don't need to know the correct terminology, you do need to be able to go back in your life and find an unmistakable moment, an experience, if you will, when you humbled yourself and you called on Jesus as a sinner to forgive and save you, and it left your heart changed. You notice I did not say repeat a prayer, though you can repeat a prayer. Notice I did not say come to an altar. You can say the right words, but if there is no change of heart, then you did not really get born again. Jesus could not have been clearer. Being born again is something that we must do to see the kingdom of God. He kind of illustrates that by verse 8, because you and I see the effects of the wind, but we cannot see the wind itself. And that's what verse 8 is about. The wind bloweth where it listeth, it blows where it wants. And thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell when it cometh and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. And, and, and we see the effects of spiritual birth in the changes of people's life, but we cannot see the wind, we cannot see what God's spirit does in their heart, only the effects of it. Now unfortunately, Nicodemus walked away from this conversation. 
This was completely new information to him. And understand what this would have meant when Nicodemus heard it. What it would have meant is that all of the good works that he had ever done, all of the religious practices that he had meticulously followed, none of them were adequate enough for him to see the kingdom of God. That's a pretty big pill to swallow. By the way, there are probably people within the sound of my voice. And you've never been born again. And if I were to ask you the question, if you were to stand before God today, and God said to you, why should I let you in my city? Why should I let you through the gates to the jasper wall? Why should I let you in a place that has no more sin and no more cancer and no more injustice, where there's no more death, there's nothing evil, nothing bad? Why should I let you in my city? And the first answer of your heart would be something to do with your religion or something to do with your good works. Understand that if your first answer to that question is anything that is unlike I have trusted Christ as Savior, I have believed and received Him, He changed my heart. If your answer is anything to do with works or anything to do with religion, you need to be born again. Listen, you may not remember when exactly, you may not remember the exact words you said, but you cannot forget the experience. And there is no mistaking a changed heart. Have you been born again? If so, when was it? Has anybody ever explained to you what it means to be born again? No one will see the kingdom of God without being born again. Maybe you're like my wife and I and sat in a pew or a church chair for, for, for years and, and never heard about this. Maybe you're sitting in a Baptist chair this morning and you have heard people talk about this all your life, but you know you have no change of heart. You do not have desires for spiritual things this world doesn't have. Listen, this world doesn't care if they pray when all is well, only when things are bad. This world doesn't care whether they know the Word of God, whether they read the Word of God, whether they understood the Word of God, but someone with Christ in their life always desires the Word of God to know and understand. Listen, this world doesn't care whether people get saved. This world doesn't care whether anyone hears the gospel, but when Christ is in your life, you have desires that this world does not have. And if you can live in your sin and rebellion against God and not feel guilt and condemnation and not feel the judgment of a loving father on a disobedient child, ye must be born again. If you have been born again, would you rejoice this morning in God's work in your heart and decide to tell others about it. And so what I'd like to do this morning, now that we're done with the introduction, is just make some observations and applications of Jesus insisting that people be born again to see the kingdom of God. Please first turn back just a couple pages to chapter 1 of John. Say, Brother Wally, this is all old hat. Hey, listen, if you came here every week and heard something new, something's wrong. Great truths are the foundation for great structures. Here's the first thing this morning. Here's number one. 
Being born again, born of God, is linked with believing and receiving Jesus, not with baptism. Being born again, to be born of God, it's linked with believing and receiving Jesus, not baptism. Notice in John 1, in verse 11, it says, He came unto his own, and his own received him. Not that's Jesus coming to the Jews, and them for the most part rejecting him. Verse 12, but as many as received him, notice what happens when you receive him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them which believe in his name. So you get to be God's child by receiving him and believing on his name, Verse 13, some things that is not, which were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Notice to be born of God, there are three things it is not, according to verse 13. Being born of God is not of blood. It means it is not because of who your family is. It doesn't matter what your parent or your grandparent has done. It does not matter what your sibling did or did not do. It does not matter whether your child or grandchild is born again. Uh, the new birth is not of blood. Notice also, it is not of the will of the flesh. In other words, it's not linked with any good work you can do in your flesh. Uh, listen, I, I think we, it's good to know, you know, you know what? Uh, people that do good things help our world. I'm glad for people that do good things in our world. Listen, there's plenty of people doing bad things. Anybody doing good things helps our world to be a better place. But understand, doing good things and making our world a better place, that is not how you get born of God. It is not of blood. It is not of the will of the flesh. Listen, if we're born of God, we're born because God's Spirit did something in us. Notice the third thing it is not from verse 13. It says, nor of the will of man. In other words, it's not linked with any clergy or religious leader or government. Oh, by the way, thank God for spiritual leaders who point us to the Bible in Christ. But none of them can make us born again. <laughs> the new birth is not of man. It is the work of the Spirit of God in the heart of a person being born of God we just read in verse 12, as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe in his name. You're born of God by believing in the name of Christ and receiving him. It is a specific time when you believe and humbly decide to receive Christ as Savior. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. In fact, it very specifically says he came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. By the way, that's different from the movie The Chosen. That just says he came to call sinners. They conveniently left off that last phrase. Uh, he came to call sinners to repentance. Listen, he called us from the moment we were saved to live a changed life. There is something very, very wrong when someone says, I am a follower of Jesus, and they live just like this ungodly world. We've all been called to repentance, to change direction, to live differently and better than we were living in our sins before coming to Christ. I ask you again, have you been born again? Have you purposely stopped trusting your good works, stopped trusting clergy to trust Christ as Savior? 
to trust his finished work in the cross, to trust his shed blood, to trust his death because the wages of sin is death, to trust in his resurrection that he came out of the grave bodily after three days, to trust him instead of any other thing. But it's not just that being born again is linked with believing and receiving Jesus as Savior and repentance rather than baptism. Here's the second thing. Go in your Bible, please, to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. I said being born again is linked with believing and receiving Jesus rather than baptism. Here's number two. Being born again, to be born of God, is linked with hearing the word of God. Being born again, to be born of God, it's linked with hearing the word of God. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22 says, Seeing you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. By the way, we, before we go on, understand what he's talking about there in obeying the truth. In a certain sense, we're saved by obedience because God says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And if you will not obey that basic command to believe, you're not saved. And, and so that's what he talks about when he's talking about being, uh, talks about our obedience and linking that with salvation. Uh, and then he says, listen, uh, you, you need to be loving one another. Listen, I, I hope you're someone who loves sound doctrine. Sound doctrine is the foundation for all good, practical, holy Christian living. But being sound in doctrine is never an excuse to not love one another. And he goes on with our subject today in verse 23. He says, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever, for all flesh is as grass, and the glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away. But the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. When Paul and Peter and the apostles preached the gospel to people, they were preaching the word of the Lord to them. And notice how their new birth in verse 23 is linked with the word of God. Words that were alive then and still alive today. Uh, that's what it says, which liveth and abideth forever. By the way, I'm preaching a living book to you this morning. Now, no one needs to have the entire Bible in front of them to be saved, but you do need to hear the Word of God. Uh, listen, some Bible verses in a gospel track, the 15 of Bible verses I'm going to use this morning out of the 31,102 Bible verses in our Bible. Listen, 15 is enough. But they're always in some way must be the word of God linked with our new birth. When the early witnesses for Jesus went out in their city and surrounding area, you know what they did? They preached the gospel. You know what they did next? They preached the word. Uh, by the way, that's the two things you ought to always happen when you go to a church for any length at a time. You, you ought to hear them preach the gospel, and you ought to hear them preach the word. And if both of those are not happening, something is missing. Let me ask you, do you highly value and make effort to know and understand God's words? 
Do, do you know what God's Word says about you and your sins? Now, the Bible says that your sins have separated you from the Lord. It says <laughs> you've hid His face from you. Listen, the wages of sin is death, for all of sin and come short of the glory of God. Uh, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Do you know what the Bible says about your sins? Do you know what the Bible says about how to remedy your sins? That there is no forgiveness in the Pope or in the priests or in any birds like cardinals. There's no salvation in any Baptist preacher of any stature where he's preaching to five people this morning or 5,000. It is the word of God in the name of Jesus that saves people. You need to be born again this morning. So when my mom told me I was saved when I did this, listen, you know what's in your heart. It's Christ in your life. How can the son of the living God be in a human heart and that person be unaware? Imagine the folly of thinking that to be so. You need to purpose to learn more of what the Bible says. So you can be a more effective witness for Christ. Listen, it's wonderful for you to say, you know, like that guy who just got saved, I once was blind, but now I see. That's fine if you're new in the faith. But you know what? You need to get to the place where you can tell somebody what happened. And it's not just that the Word of God is always involved in some way when people are born again. Here's number three. Uh, being born again is just the beginning of your spiritual life, not the end. God wants you to grow. Turn over to 2 Peter chapter 3. Just a few pages ahead. Peter, of course, wrote to Jewish believers who were scattered in the regions uh, round about Jerusalem and Judea and Galilee. And 2 Peter, of course, you know, are the last drops of ink from his pen as he sat in the Mamertine prison in Rome with a death sentence over his head. I wonder what the last words of the last words of the great apostle Peter would be to God's people. I wonder what the last words of the last words of Peter would be to Christian people in chapter 3 and verse 18. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. For the last drops of ink from his quill before being monitored, Peter exhorts believers to grow in grace. To grow in the knowledge of Christ. Hey, listen, it's wonderful to grow in the knowledge of English and grammar and science and history and geography and mathematics. Hey, listen, uh, that's a wonderful thing, but you know it's even better to grow in grace and to grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to grow in grace, to become increasingly gracious as we go through this life as a follower of Jesus, to know more and more about the Savior we called upon when we likely did not know any more than that I was a guilty sinner, and I did not want to go to hell, and Christ died for my sins, and Christ rose again from the dead, and that if I would call upon him in faith, he'd save me. We likely knew very little more than that, and he wants us to know more. He wants us to know him. He wants us to learn of him. He wants us to grow are you growing you know there have been there are believers who've been saved for decades and they're a spiritual baby they don't literally know any more bible than they knew when they got saved they couldn't tell you one more bible principle they couldn't quote one more bible verse they couldn't tell you 
anything really strictly from the Bible about what Jesus wants in this situation or that. They just have not grown. Can, can I just say, you, you know what? Any earthly parent, if they have a child that does not grow physically at all, you would be deeply concerned and you would feel like something is wrong. Our Heavenly Father, when you and I get born again and we come to Christ and we have not grown, He feels the same way. He wants us to grow. Are you growing? Have you obeyed Jesus in baptism? It's a very basic step of obedience in your Christian walk. Listen, biblical baptism is to be immersed in water in uh, the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost as a symbol of the death and burial of Jesus when you go under the water and as a symbol of his resurrection when you come out of the water. It is something that you do after you get born again. And anything else, I don't care how many groups of people and how many billions of people are involved in sprinkling infants, that is not baptism. Do you need to obey Christ in baptism? Why wouldn't you do that? If Christ is in your life, why, why would you say, nah, I'm not going to do that? Well, we talked last week about how important the church was to Jesus Christ. He loves the church. He gave himself for the church. He nourishes and cherishes the church. He, he loves what's going on here this morning and in any place where the people of God are gathered to sing praises to Christ, to pray in Christ's name, and to study and to learn and teach and preach the scriptures of God. He's pleased and loves all those places. Why would you decide, eh, I don't need the church. Doesn't matter if I'm a member. Doesn't matter if I do a thing here. Would you grow? Not, not for my sake. For you. For your heavenly Father. Let me ask you, are you more or less committed to Christ and his church today than you were two years ago? Are you more or less interested in the Bible than you were two years ago? Do you pray more today when there's nothing wrong than you used to pray a couple of years ago when nothing was wrong? Uh, listen. I'm not your enemy because I tell you you need to be born again. I'm your friend. I'm not your enemy because I say, you know what? Our Father wants us to grow in grace and in knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I'm not your enemy for telling you that. I'm your friend. Which gets us to our last thing, number four. And lastly, any spiritual leader who doesn't talk about the new birth is hurting those who listen to them. It is an absolute tragedy to have sat in a church pew or church chair on multiple occasions and never hear that you must be born again. What a tragedy to never see the kingdom of God because you never opened the Bible yourself and you did not choose a spiritual leader who speaks about the things Christ spoke so much about. Did you know it wasn't just John who mentions the new birth in the gospel of John. It wasn't just Peter who mentioned the new birth in his epistle to Christian people. Do you know in the first epistle of John to believers, seven times he mentions the new birth. 
Does that not make you feel like if you go somewhere and they're not talking about being born again ever that something is wrong? I know, God has the witness of creation telling this whole world that there is a God and that he is powerful and that he's triune. I know that God has the witness of human conscience speaking to every human being about the basics of what God says is right and wrong. I know that God has the witness of Moses and the Ten Commandments and the basic moral laws of God written with the finger of God on tables of stone. I know that God has sent his spirit into the world to call people to Christ and to bear witness when someone tells the truth of the scriptures to say to people's heart, hey, what that man says said is right. But will you embrace what Christ and his apostles taught? A lot of people, they don't want to come to a place like this. Some of you may not come back. Listen, I'm not preaching for anybody to leave. I'm preaching the truth for anybody who wants the truth. I just, listen, you can call me a simpleton, uh, but you know what? I just simply believe there will always be a remnant of people who believe, who just say, tell me the truth and let me work through it. Listen, God is not pleased with anyone who claims to be a spiritual leader who's more interested in a crowd than being true to Christ. What do you need this morning? Do you need to be born again? Do you have what you call salvation, but you know in your heart, I I don't really have it. Listen, if you have it, you'll you'll know it. I'm not saying, hey, listen, everybody struggles with that from time to time. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying when Christ is in your life, he's changed your heart. You know it. Are you born again? If not, today's a great day to do that. And if you are born again, are you growing? And what is the next thing you need to do to take your next step in your spiritual life? Listen, God is not trying you to get trying to get you to take my next spiritual step. His growth he has planned for me too. But he's not trying to get you to take my next step. He wants you to take your next step. What's your next step? Would you decide to take it this morning for Christ's sake? If you'd quietly stand.